Hello, this is Notes from the Back Row, a podcast like no other. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Welcome to Notes from the Back Row. I am Jenna, and I am here with Carlo. Hello. And today, yet again, we are taking a foray into our post-anime club, a a segment on Notes from the Back Row where Carlo and I, uh, growing up as weebs, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, you look know. back at Japanese cinema because we totally missed out on it because we're we're not smart, but you know we're I mean you know we're a little smart, but we we kind of missed out and we're trying to make up for it now. So we're we're going back and looking at stuff and trying to pick out things a little bit in a way that would just intrigue us visually mm. mostly, and then seeing yeah. if if that means anything, right? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to get into in Japanese cinema. It's like. I don't know, like after America, maybe like the second biggest player in terms of cinema. Oh, yeah. Like the the, the richest history, I feel. It's certainly a a super long, interesting history that that we totally missed. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I didn't like 100% missed out on it, but we're just like, you know, focusing on, I want to watch cartoons and and not just cartoons, cartoons, like like proper animation, animated movies as well. Right. but then at one point you're like, I don't know, it's the same with movies. Like I started out as a kid just watching what came out recently and like in the 80s and the 90s and whatever. And then at one point you're like, I, I want to know more. Like I'm so into cinema, like why? I miss it. I feel like I'm missing out on references, like not even right. joke references, just like even just directors who have been inspired by older movies. Like why do I like these movies that directors in the 80s are making? They grew up on uh, on movies that were made in the 50s. So you go back to the 50s, like what were they inspired by? Is, is there cool stuff to, to find there? Same with Japanese cinema. So that's cool. And today's episode here, we are going to be talking about two movies that are really interestingly very much a 101 for Japanese cinema. Hmm. Uh, before we get into it, though... <laughs> I'm going to drop a quick commercial here for back-row.com. That is the website that we are are on and that you're listening to this episode from. And check us out because uh, we are a small group of four people who uh, just update whenever we feel like it. (laughs) And uh, no, we're doing some cool stuff this year. I mean, we've had Hoser Horror with Dan and Carlo has been uh, going hard and really consistent this entire year. And you guys are awesome. I've learned so much from (laughs) listening to Hoser Horror about movies that... I like, I really want to see having listened to you guys talk about, but I'm also mm. afraid to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun doing the show. Like I'm learning every episode as well, just about like Canadian stuff. Uh, right. In, in, in general, like cultural stuff. I'm always keen to learn more. So, you know, good times. 
For sure. And what else? I've been doing a lot of reviews of, of newer movies that came out this year, which has been, I think, more more interesting than ever, considering there's no movie theaters in 2020. Mm. And mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, if you go on back-row.com, you can check out my review of Shit House, which is a great movie. I super recommend. Uh, there's also Synchronic is, a, is an interesting sci-fi that came out this year. We also have Veronica talking about witches and female anxiety movies, which is the, the genre that we coined, female anxiety. Mm -hmm. If you want to learn more about that, uh, really interesting and fun genre. So, yeah. And then, and of course, all these hoser horrors and then also Franchise Frenzy, which mm -hmm. is Dan and Carlo watching all of the Children of the Corn movies most recently. Yeah, and we didn't watch all of them, but one like, to four, right? We got we got sort of halfway. <laughs> we'll we'll do more franchise frenzy, but it's more like once every while. Uh, it's kind of an irregular thing, kind of like post anime club, basically. Like whenever <laughs> it feels right to do one, we do one. <laughs> right, it's it gets a little hard, I think, to watch four four mm, corns in a, a row. Lot. It's a lot. Uh, <laughs> like until now, the franchise frenzies we've done are like. I definitely wouldn't recommend all of them, but sometimes you, you're you surprised by a movie and makes it a little worth it. it. It's always fun talking to Dan about those anyway. Like we, we love doing a project, love watching sequels, even when they're shit. So, you know, <laughs> I don't mind too much. <laughs> but well, we're, I guess we're doing a bit of a franchise frenzy ourselves for the this episode oh, yeah. because we're gonna watch a, a movie and its sequel and uh, this is the first up is is the are the Carmen movies. I don't know. I'm gonna go ahead and just yeah, say that's sure. a thing. Yeah, <laughs> the Japanese Carmen movies. Yeah. Yeah, and the first one is Carmen Comes Home, which is Set. We're talking about the Carmen movies, both directed by Keisuke Kinoshita and Hideko Takamine as, as Carmen in these movies. So both major players in like classic Japanese cinema in the 50s and the 60s especially. Um, so Kinoshita and Takamine's first encounter actually dates back way back to when Kinoshita had to shoot a close-up of her in 1933 when she was a nine-year-old child star nicknamed Deko-chan. Deko-chan takes the first, uh, her first name, Hideko, the Deko part, which also happens to mean forehead, and sort of turns <laughs> that into an aff affectionate nickname. <laughs> so Deko-chan, as she was known. And she was like the Shirley Temple of Japan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's how she was known, sort of. Uh, I don't know much about Shirley Temple myself. Uh, I guess I mean that more in that she was a very well-known child actress. Oh, okay. In that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She had a very long career um, as a child actress. And then uh, after her career as a child star, she graduated to doing so-called sexy pinup roles during World War II. Uh, and then she basically broke off from the studio system. She started working for herself. She settled into being a leading lady in these type of melodramas in the 50s and the 60s, like the movies we'll be covering today, which are less melodrama, but it still feels the same type of movie. Like they're not period pieces, um, a bit more 
skewing to, uh, towards comedy. But then in 1955, uh, she also married an author, Zenzo Matsuyama. And when doing so, she set a precedent by deciding not to give up acting because she just kept on acting for her entire life, basically. But yeah, that was a big thing back then. Normally when, it's, it's not just in Japan, but in China as well, if an uh, actress got married, she would just give acting up and, you know, mm. be a wife and a, uh, and a mother, basically. So that... That always feels like a waste, especially in this case, um, because I think Hideko Takamine is an, an, just an amazing actress. That's still kind of a thing, right? That's st sort of a thing in Japan still, mm. is that you're really, the working mother thing is still sort of frowned upon. Yeah, maybe a little. I don't know about like an acting necessarily, but I feel it's more like case by case than as a rule. A bit more than it used to be at least. Yeah. I mean, you have to hope. Like 50s and 60s wasn't exactly like, especially in the 50s, wasn't very like in 1955. Well, that was the time of it. <laughs> yeah, to not do what everyone was doing uh, as a as a woman, you know, that probably took some guts and you know, respect to her for being her own woman and just saying no, fuck it, I want to keep acting. Well, she probably didn't say fuck it, but. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, no, Takamine. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention is. Um, even as an adult, like I mentioned before, she was nicknamed Dekochan, basically like li little forehead, I guess. <laughs> but even as an adult, as an adult, she has what is called in Japan Urizanegao, which means classic features. Mm. But if you look at that word more literally, what it means is oval face, and that pretty much defines what the Japanese consider the standard when it comes to feminine beauty, that like round ovalish face. Uh, and she fits that to a T. Um, interesting about Uri Zanigao, that word, the first part, Uri, means melon. So you can also <laughs> interpret it as melon head. Love it. Um, which, I don't know, I thought it was kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe not a compliment to everyone, but I mean, you know. <laughs> not in English, but... No, not in English, but it feels more <laughs> cute in Japanese. Um, right. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little different. Because that's like the standard of beauty. Uri doesn't necessarily mean melon, but the whole world, it's three kanji. And the first one is, smell, is, is, is the kanji for melon. But like put together, there's no like meaning of melon in there. It just means oval face. <laughs> what, what's like the the um, Belgian equivalent of these? Like I'm trying to think of like a English compliments that like could be misconstrued, like a, like a button nose or something, which <laughs> doesn't Dutch sound man. great, but like... <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are some, but... Yeah, that, that's hard to think about just like this because I'm... <laughs> yeah, you I'm have to like really like break down words. Like there's always that time yeah, where you yeah, turn yeah. around and you're like, wait a minute, that's really weird. <laughs> hmm. We'll think about it. Yeah, I guess we use like... Some people use the word potato kind of in an aff affectionate way. Ah. <laughs> but like they use it like, you know, they make it cute. Like in Japanese, you put chan after everything, which makes it cute and small. And right. we kind of have the same thing in Dutch. If you do that with the word potato, it, it makes it kind of cute-ish. But I don't know if it's like, it, it has nothing like in Japanese for the Urizanigao. It, it defines, like I said, classic features, beauty. With the Dutch potato thing, it has nothing to do with like classic <laughs> features or anything. It's just like, I don't know, making a stupid word cute sounding. But It's yeah. got to be something about tulips. <laughs> Maybe in Holland, I don't know, but I, I feel like I've never heard anything tulip related. 
<laughs> anyway, this isn't tulip talk, so, you know. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. That's our next episode Sorry. is tulip so, talk. So, it wasn't until the first Carmen movie, Carmen Comes Home, which Kinoshita had devised for Hideko Takamine, that they would meet again on the set. So, like, almost 20 years later. Uh, kind of playing against character as a naive codependent stripper. Because Takamine would typically be cast in the role of a smart, strong woman who's tormented by the constraints of traditional family structure. Mm. Very Japanese concept. Uh, she would work with Kinoshita a couple of times, including the Carmen sequel. But most, most notable in terms of their cooperations was 24 Eyes, which is considered one of the highest regarded Japanese movies of its era. Uh, I watched like half of that movie, but I, I think my tolerance for child actors is not high enough <laughs> because it's a lot of like Japanese kids screaming sensei, sensei, and, and the audio quality is very poor. It's, it's a lot of that. And I was like, oof. I don't know, like, this is a classic, but I wasn't feeling it. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say bad things about it because I'll I'll get put on a shit list. <laughs> um, one of the things, and, and we'll totally talk about this later, but one of the things that's mm. kind of interesting about this movie is that um, it does have a very foreign kind of feel like that. Like, there's a lot of these yeah. standards that are clearly, and, it, and it's very clear to see that, like, yeah, this is like, the Japanese version of an American thing or, or you know, yeah, a I mean, thing, we're, but... in, we're in the territory where Japan was very heavily being influenced by America uh, in particular at this point, unless you were making like a samurai movie. Um, yeah, that's that's the vibe you're getting. Like with Ozu's movies, it's a, it feels a bit more like traditional compared to Carmen. Um, but still, even if you if you look at stuff like Good Morning, there's like uh, all the stuff with the televisions and they're using like little English English words here and there. There's always like that backdrop of like the the influence of the big neighbor. Uh, like, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? But oh, well, and, and just like a straight up military occupation of America. So I don't think yeah, Japan yeah, yeah. had much of yeah. a say <laughs> in, in the influence in that sense because mm. it's just everywhere. But mm. yeah. Um, but yeah, Takamine, mostly she ended up working with another director, Mikio Naruse. Uh, they worked together on like 20 or so movies. Uh, I've seen a couple of those and I feel like at one point we definitely need to get to his body of, of work. Um, yeah. There's this movie I saw called Yearning, I think like last, last year. Uh, when I think about it, I still kind of feel like the emotional scars. Aww. Like it's, it's a wonderful film, but it'll just tear your heart out just... <laughs> well now yeah, I'm afraid I'm, I'm, to watch it yeah I know it's it's so <laughs> worth watching but you'll just I don't know you'll be reeling afterwards and I don't get that feeling very easily but this right. one did it for me man Jesus mm. um, but yeah uh, Takamine she passed away in 2010 from lung cancer but her legacy still lives on today through her roles which even when the movies are just okay she's like absolutely radiant and giving it her all like, there is no bad Hideko Takamine performance out there, uh, as far as I know. She also wrote an autobiography, several essays, and she served as the inspiration for the character Hideko in Park Chan-wook's The Handmaiden, mm. which I have not seen, but apparently there's a character called Hideko. Uh, uh, an, 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 how do you call it? An homage to Hideko Takamine. Um, and that's about it for my background on on <laughs> nice yeah i mean it, it, that's probably was the coolest part of of watching these carmen movies is is mm. 
for me, it was an introduction to her. I haven't seen any of her other movies. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Maybe not the best introduction, as we will mention. But um, she's very good. She's the star. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, she is the best part of the, the film for sure. And mm -hmm. she's, you know, more of my issues was sort of with what she was being given to do. Yeah. Uh, but exactly. she is really charming and fun mm -hmm. and cute yeah. and uh, really in makes these movies enjoyable. Yeah, without her, it, it'd just be kind of a... <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll get into how we feel about the movies later, <laughs> but yeah, she's, she's, she's great. Yeah. And then, I mean, it was, that's like, you know, I was saying it's like a good one-on-one because it's a, it's a cool to have an introduction to Takamine, who's clearly, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a big deal in Japan. Yeah. And then Kinoshita also has like 50 something films and oh, is, yeah, yeah, is yeah. one yeah. of these like, you know, staples of Japanese cinema, but lesser known outside of Japan is my yeah, understanding. That's true. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's no Kurosawa or, you know, uh, even an Ozu, I feel, is way more known uh, outside of Japan. Right. And, and, like, probably more outside of Japan than in, within Japan. Uh, yeah. And I, I mean, it, it is sort of, there is something that seems very culturally Japanese about these movies, at least, for again, for 1951, even though they're both dealing really specifically with American influence mm -hmm. uh, and grappling with kind of the post-war Japanese identity but they have that kind of like cultural institution feel for the way that they treat certain things mm -hmm. uh, or subvert those things. So it's kind of, it is, they was, these were definitely interesting watches uh, and, and good like foundational watches for, mm. for cinema for sure. And they both do fun things visually. So like, and that was really what sold me on wanting to watch these was I saw yeah. a clip <laughs> of Carmen Comes Home where uh, this is meant to be the, I think the first, color film in Japan, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. First uh, Technicolor movie, basically. Uh, yeah. You can, you can really tell that they wanted to show off like their fancy new uh, technology <laughs> with like uh, Hideko and um, the other actress Toshiko Kobayashi, who plays her friend Akemi, just wearing the most colorful outfits and basically being overdressed to everything they show up to. Right. <laughs> But it was really interesting considering that this was like, you know, the chance to kind of show showcase Technicolor or like, you know, look yeah. at like the US, we, we had uh, Wizard of Oz and, and we went for like mm -hmm. the most fantastical, crazy, like rainbow yeah. colored world. And then <laughs> and Japan is just like, here's some dresses. <laughs> yeah, Japan, they were just like, oh, we're going to go into a field, you know, like, let's yeah. just... <laughs> Let's I just mean, that's do a too, rural but... <laughs> community and then yeah. we'll dress these women up in a lot of colors. But yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, but... it looks it looks great. Like at, at any mm -hmm. given moment, um, it's really fun, like just to turn your brain off and, and look at what's happening. <laughs> it's definitely a turn your brain off kind of movie. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, so I guess yeah. we can get into the first one here, right? Like the the plot of Carmen Comes Home is that uh, Takamine plays this woman, Carmen, who has left her rural hometown to become a dancer in the big city, which we very quickly learn means that she's actually a stripper in Tokyo. And um, she writes saying that she wants to come home in part because her friend Akimi wants to, is, is getting over heartbreak. And so uh, Carmen says, Lily Carmen, she calls herself, but yeah. she, her <laughs> Japanese name is, is Kin. And everyone, all of her, the family in the village keeps calling her Kin. Yeah, and her father's like very confused by that Lily Carmen name. She's like, who's Gigi Carmen? Right. Gigi. I'm like, Gigi, like grandfather in Japanese? That can't be what you're hearing. Yeah, and so like, you know, she's she's um, she wants to come home, but her father is, he's embarrassed 
at everything about Carmen. He thinks she's a total yeah. dope. <laughs> yeah. He, he straight up. Is, but yeah. So is he. <laughs> she, he says that she got kicked in the head by a cow when she was by, young. Yeah, and that yeah. to him explains why she's totally uh, <laughs> um, wants to call herself Lily Carmen and why she's yeah. a, a dancer in the big city, which they don't realize that means a stripper. Uh, he doesn't at least the father until later on in the film. And, even the fa- the idea that she's a dancer is already confusing enough to his yeah, you know yeah. farm I mean, rural mind I guess it has to be I'll explained be honest, what culture just, is. I felt like there was just like this ambiguity about them being strippers though for the entire movie. Like for the longest time, I didn't even realize they were strippers to be right. honest. Like even after the movie ended, and I looked it up, if they were supposed to be strippers, and yes, they are. <laughs> but I'm like, there's not obviously there's no like. Uh, like very obvious strip scenes or like full frontal nudity or or whatever. Yeah, this is completely G-rated. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you're like from 1951 and you think it's scandalous <laughs> to see like women in like pajamas, basically. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. their underwear is like cover- still covering their belly buttons. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's totally G-rated. And in the stripper, I think the only reason, the only point in which I realized they were strippers, which I'm guessing was the movie reveal unless there was something in the translation, you know, that like didn't or like maybe we were meant to have known that these sort of fancy city girls being dancers in the big city mm-hmm. is like, you know, basically saying what that means. <laughs> yeah, you know, I didn't if, pick up on anything like that. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I didn't. I mean, I'm I'm kind of guessing that maybe that culturally that would have been kind of understood quicker than I got it but I only got it when the friend you know she's putting on a skirt and it keeps uh-huh. falling off and she says well that's it's all I have is our our you know the skirts that work for our act you know it's like okay. our costumes for the act so mm. then I was like oh okay I get it <laughs> <laughs> um and then they keep saying oh they're gonna dance naked they're gonna dance naked and there is like a final striptease but we don't mm-hmm. you don't see you anything. don't see it really <laughs> you see like literally from from their knees to their their feet like there's not mm-hmm. even you don't even get a full knee shot yeah it's sort of like implied <laughs> that they uh throw aside their ropes or something and but i'm like they were wearing stuff beneath that so <laughs> i'm like they weren't naked after that so i don't know are they strippers aren't they i mean um, there there's some sort of 1950s version of a stripper from from what I was reading um, about these movies, otherwise it was sort of they were saying, uh, for, like, and and I don't know if I don't really know where they got this from, but they were saying that she would be a topless dancer, so not mm. like full on naked, but oh, okay. 1950s naked. But then again, like <laughs> you think of like you know all of the like vaudeville or things where they still people yeah. have like tassels on their nipples and stuff. Yeah. Like who knows? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, but she is the equivalent of a of the scandalous equivalent of a stripper in that sense because when she comes home and everyone realizes first they're all impressed that she's a fancy dancer and we have uh, mm-hmm. Chisu Ryu, Chisu Ryu, yeah, or as the as the kooky principal, I guess, kind of uh, against type uh, from how we know him from Ozu movies. Yeah, <laughs> and and he's very like at first he's very. Um, you know her sister uh, carmen's sister is it keeps telling everyone like oh no you know um this is exciting like she's she's um trying to tell her father like you know allow carmen to come home like uh, she seems very proud of her sister for having made it in the big city and so she mm-hmm. convinces the principal to tell the father like you know culture is good and we should be proud of all of our yeah. cultures and yeah. dancing is a culture and an art form 
but so i don't know so this movie um it, it's a comedy it is uh sure <laughs> <laughs> but by lack of a better word it's, it's like it's not funny but it's a comedy you know there's yeah. movies like that it's it's sort of you know the the butt of the joke in in, in all of these movies is Carmen because she is dumb uh mm-hmm. you know as far as the movie continually tells us she's dumb and we don't really see her doing anything that isn't dumb <laughs> yeah. she's very naive she's very um that sort of I, I would say she's like the 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 American equivalent would be the blonde you know especially yeah, yeah, in yeah. 1950s it's this sort of <laughs> yeah but you didn't head. have those in Japan so <laughs> <laughs> right it's the bobblehead airhead attractive woman who well, she thinks that, that being a stripper is being an artist. Mm-hmm. She keeps talking about her art and she has to practice her art and she she treats dancing as if it is true a true art form. But the rest of the world and I think the audience is meant to catch on to the idea that she is a stripper and therefore it is it is not high art, it is low art, if any mm-hmm. art whatsoever. And so part of the joke seems to be just that she um has a sense of dignity where she shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But the movie doesn't really undermine her. All the characters in the movie do, but the movie seems to take some pleasure in her sort of innocence and her mm-hmm. appreciation of what she's doing. And the movie doesn't really strip her of the dignity that she is projects. But yeah, it's 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 never like I don't know like uh, stripper shaming or anything. So. That, yeah that's, that's okay I, well you know like the the bumpkins they like some of them like especially your father uh sort of is i guess but i mean that's like the only conflict that you really get in this movie that's like like i can't really say i was invested in it but it was something like when he gets upset about her daughter doing the uh quote unquote new dance it's <laughs> it's basically kind of a boring and superficial plot device but who knows? It might have been more scandalous in 1951, but it probably was. But then I'm saying it doesn't hold up as as something that's supposed to be like uh, involving in 2020. Right. <laughs> but, but you know, this movie is it, it's a fluff piece. Um, it's just like Shoshiku want, wanting to show off their first color movie, not really thinking too much about story and and character really. Yeah, you know, that's fine. But in that case, I guess I need just more like audiovisual stimulation or stuff to happen than, than, than just, oh, hey, we've got color now and possibly a naked lady, which, <laughs> you know, that, that isn't too bad when I put it like that. But still, <laughs> right. it's, it, it wasn't enough in this case. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, like there's a lot of singing in this movie, which is sort of funny because yeah. um, on one hand, you have this very like, it sounds like a funeral march japanese song for the the village it's like the song of the village which that's just like japanese folk songs you know (laughs) and it's really drab and i i think there is a point sort of paid to the fact that this is in comparison you know very very um stern and traditional and Mm -hmm. not also not bad they're certainly not crapping on that there it's definitely not like a pro modern movie but it does seem to be trying to find some like happy medium between the current yeah, yeah, yeah. new new Japan of the fifties and old Japan. Um, mm. There's a whole plot line about this blind guy who was blinded oh, yeah. in the war and that Carmen had a crush on him, but now he's married and he plays mm-hmm. piano or he plays uh, organ. And um, he's the one who like plays these like 
Stern songs. I don't know. His wife yeah. has to work, and it's like very shameful that she has to be working while he is. Oh blind yeah, that's the and, whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and like so, it is sort of like you see her, and she's doing really well, and then Carmen is well. She has this great jazz song. Actually, that's what I was going to mm. say. She has this really good. Uh, Carmen sings this one jazz song in comparison, which I think was really fun. Like I really liked her jazz song, mm. which is uh, in the all the lyrics are about like when you're in Venice, you know, you sit on a boat with a gondola, and when you're in Paris, oh, yeah, you know, one, you, yeah. you this is sort of very you know worldly and western focused, mm -hmm. um, and jazz song about. So like there's this real comparison between traditional and current. Yeah, but I don't know. I the way that the movie treats Carmen, though, like I, it's it, again, like it, it's looking for some degree of peace between these two worlds, but it also is like full of a lot of jokes where you know Carmen comes over and and is singing a song, and she passes some guys on the road, and they're like, yeah. you know, I she that's got to be a hooker, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people sort of crapping on her constantly, and and I and it's meant to be the joke, like that's meant to be the like the the punchline rim shot. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, kind of as she goes along, like she thinks she's being like a suave Western influence person and, and they think <laughs> she's like, you know, a hooker. Like they think she is like mm -hmm. a totally psycho, um, mm -hmm. dumb person. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just wish I understood more of like Carmen's character in the end, but I guess ultimately she isn't that interesting, really. And just being used as the butt of the joke. But that's fine. But I don't know, like do do more character moments or something i don't know like give her something like why is carmen even coming back and what is it that she feels she has to prove <laughs> not sure <laughs> i mean i feel like she comes she sort of comes back for the the glory and she gets it because everyone wants to see her naked but i there's definitely hmm. nobody I, I i'm just i guess what i'm sort of digging at is that i i certainly didn't find this to be a pro Carmen movie. This isn't like a pro stripper movie. This isn't no. really, this isn't empowering really in any way whatsoever. It's, it's very much, she's the butt of the joke. And, you know, yeah, so, at the yeah. same time, we, when we see her dancing, she dances terribly, by the way, she's a terrible dancer, <laughs> which is actually the, the one funniest part of this is that like you yeah. see her show and it's just awful. It's just so dumb. And it's clear that, you know, the only reason why she's popular maybe in Tokyo is the fact that she's very attractive and that she gets naked, you know, like that's the, you know, it's, it becomes pretty clear that yeah, the dancing it's, it's almost and the like this sort dumb. of like reverse fish out of water story, but then it's like, fish in the water story but the water or the fish has changed and the water hasn't <laughs> sort of Which, yeah all right you know, that, I, I can that's, follow that's that <laughs> that's never too interesting i feel those kind of storylines it's like ooh, isn't this strange isn't this location strange but this, in this case it's like carmen or kin she's come back and isn't she the strange one now i don't know i mean i did appreciate no, her dancing there's a scene that's very like um she's dancing on the side of a mountain in her underwear with her friend mm -hmm. and they're practicing their, mm -hmm. their dance. That was kind of funny. Like they're just dancing in the mountains half naked. And yeah, all the, it sort of cuts to all the horses and the cows coming to watch them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, fa my favorite part is of this movie, like it be a tie between Hideko Takamine's polka dot dress, which was great. And when the dad's stressing about the, about her doing the naked dance, 
uh, and Chishiryu's character, he tries to comfort him by saying, only humans know what it means to be mortified. It's a precious thing. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, that's truth bomb. <laughs> you know, so I kind of felt like the point of this movie at the end of the day was that it was sort of a redefining of the the Japanese, like like the concept of purity in a post World mm -hmm. War Two culture, that like it seemed to be okay if you're a stripper if you're doing it for the right reasons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because okay. Carmen sort of you know she she does her act and then she gives it to her father all the money that she makes from her act she gives to her father sort of as a as an apology for it for yeah, bringing yeah. him any sort of sense of shame, which he then donates to the school, which then can buy back the organ for the guy, you know, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Everyone, in the end, it's like literally children holding hands and singing a song on the mm -hmm. mountain. Yeah, so. yeah, it starts and it ends <laughs> that way, like we are in the world of children. And I kind of, I, yeah, and I, I wonder if this sort of is like, in a weird way, a, a kind of a picture of Japan struggling with the embarrassment of having been a proud culture defeated. Mm. Like... There's always elements like that in these movies, like especially this era, like in Ozu's movies as well. Uh, it's like trying to hold on to Japanese values, uh, pushing back against, you know, more, I want to say modern uh, ways of thinking, but not necessarily modern, um, you know, just influenced ways of thinking, non-Japanese ways of thinking. <laughs> right. And it's it's weird too, because there's also like, you know, Carmen, is, I mean, like people seem, people like her act, but they seem to have an ironic enjoyment out of her act. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're not liking it for the right reasons, but then Carmen doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, and like, she's just happy that they, they got something out of it. Like there's this weird, so it's like a weird dignity that she does have. Like she's not influent, like she's doing this because it's empowering. She thinks it's empowering, even though it's like demonstrably not. Mm -hmm. uh so i don't know there's a weird it's a weird like purity struggle in this movie that um i like i'm guessing like that's the most i can really give to it because otherwise i yeah <laughs> I, I didn't find it very it's okay it's fine it's, it's, okay. it's sort of it's, boring it's, <laughs> it's literally just okay but yeah um you know you're coming to these movies because they seem visually interesting and you saw like a little trailer thing or whatever for this movie so obviously your interest is peaked i get it like these movies were on my radar as well um, just based on the cover and that Hideko Takamine is in it because I'd seen the movie before with her. I was yeah. like, I want to see more movies with her. Um, so when you suggested these, I was like, yeah, sure. Um, these might not be the best ones, but I want to watch them. So let's do it. But interesting thing is about the color being such a draw for this movie, uh, for being like the first Japanese color movie. So apparently most people in Japan saw the black and white version. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which they basically had to shoot the movie twice with different cameras at the time that they were doing it. So you get like different versions, literally. Like <laughs> it's not just like a color thing. <laughs> and this was at the time also the only version that people in America got to see. So at the time, if you saw Carmen Comes Home, you saw the black and white version. That's the only version that existed in America. Like only recently as well has this movie been HD restored using a color copy that Sochiko had made in 1975. So that's that's a version we're able where we are able to see now. It's interesting. Apparently the black and white version yeah is longer than the and then the color one. Oh, is it? Oh, I didn't know about that. Like I'd be fine watching this in black and white, but it kind of defeats the whole point of why they made this. I feel like they were very. It's 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 almost sort of like a vanity project for the studio. So. 
losing that color aspect it's like mm, must be kind of sour <laughs> yeah i don't know that i would have liked this at all in black and white <laughs> yeah <I laughs> which i'm know, normally maybe. not that person but like <laughs> it really is the color is really the one of the more fun aspects of this it's true it's true i feel like maybe for me it had been the same sort of ish like maybe a half star difference <laughs> but also i gotta say for as good as it looks i feel like the version that i saw is the version that everyone's seeing the sound is pretty bad <laughs> like this is an old like 50s japanese movies uh movie the the sound back then it wasn't great. Like when I was watching uh, 24 Eyes as well, I was like, oh, this is some real, like, like did they ADR this on a piece of corn? It's, it's just <laughs> not too hot sounding. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like maybe it didn't bother you, but it also didn't bother me, but I just noticed it. I'm like, this movie looks great, but it sounds kind of like shit. <laughs> it sounds very crunchy. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Just, not just me then. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it was... I mean, I guess in it's comparison fine. to Carmen's Innocent Love, which is the mm. sequel from Kinoshita directed it is uh I don't know <laughs> well here's the thing so in this in the sequel they replace color with crazy jaunty uh Dutch angles the Dutch angles basically <laughs> yeah yeah so like this movie's taught it as being shot all in Dutch angles and I read that like it's everything is Dutch angles I'm like whoa this that, that might be a bit much and it's like I, I'd say like 95% of it is, is Dutch angles so almost all of it, but it, it was to the point where I was like, okay, guys, we get it. Right. This is your new trick this time and you want to show it off. But yeah, it was a bit much. It's a bit much, but it's also, I think, the only reason to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's funny. So part of the reason I wanted to see the sequel um, mm -hmm. was the fact that I saw also a clip from the movie where it, it's not only that it's shot in Dutch angles, but it, it, it pans across the screen from like, you know, right to left in yeah. dutch angles so like you yeah, see yeah, the yeah. camera <laughs> yeah completely kind of like it looks like you're on a ship you know and this is yeah. weird like back and forth the way that it it sort of like doesn't cut it just continues to they rotate the camera to show you yeah, the other yeah. side of the screen which um so it's this really bizarre like, and, and artsy effect that i yeah, feel it's, like it's, it's, as you said was it totally like look at what look at what we can do yeah <laughs> i also wonder if it though was maybe trying to pump up the comedy <laughs> like i don't know if don't this know. was meant to be like, the like the comedy angle for them or they thought <laughs> it was because they, they do other stuff visually that's interesting like with the changing of scenes and like yeah. these weird like almost like very modestly psychedelic uh scene transitions but with the dutch angles it, it, at one point it just felt like pathological to me like he'll just start a scene, regular angle, and transition to a Dutch angle, like almost immediately, <laughs> and do the same, like for like just just this conversation that's happening. I'm like, this isn't necessary for just the conversation that's happening. It's kind of like throwing me off here. <laughs> that's what makes me wonder if like this is meant to be like 
you know, just the, the constant guy in the corner saying, it's a comedy, you know, like... <laughs> Because I, I don't know, like there is definitely like you know sometimes movies are shot in a certain way that reminds reminds you of comedy and makes and makes mm -hmm. you angrier if it's not funny. Yeah. <laughs> like I know that I've <laughs> seen films that weren't even meant to be comedies, but the way that they were shot reminded me of a comedy, and so I got annoyed when I was like, "Why am I not laughing?" Because <laughs> there is yeah. a visual cue for what comedy is, you know, and it's the same yeah. thing like a good comedy without any close-ups or without any sort of uh, jump cuts from things. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I'd rather that is a good comedy and, and something that doesn't have that, you know, when you watch sometimes yeah. comedies that are shot uh, almost as if they're you're looking at a stage uh, mm -hmm. from the camera, it's just wide shots. It doesn't always yeah. work. And so yeah, I, I guess that but that's my I'm... only way to justify it other than just like, this is cool. Let's do it. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> If, if, if you look at the history of Dutch angles, though, like they weren't very common in this era. Like yeah. I know Hitchcock d dabbled in them a little, but other than that, like until the 90s, basically, when everyone started doing them, because like people like Tim Burton and Sam Raimi and Terry Gilliam went a bit nuts with that shit, but they, they knew how to employ it. And it's used to like emphasize like disorientation and madness, not necessarily comedy. Um, but that's what makes me so, wonder, because if it, it, you know, with it not being fully defined and as one being one thing, it felt like a bit experimental, like, let's try this. Like, this is a skew. Yeah, let's try this. Know? That's definitely what it is. <laughs> let's try this. And yeah. And it doesn't work. But, <laughs> no, it's it's honestly, it's overused, I feel. Uh, it's also funny. I found this quote from Roger Ebert uh, about this uh, movie Battlefield Earth, like the John Travolta mm -hmm. disaster piece. And Basically, Ebert said uh, that the director has learned from better films that directors sometimes tilt their cameras, but he has not learned why. <laughs> and um, I hate to call you out, Kinoshita, but some scenes really do not need Dutch angles. <laughs> yeah, like the father... Uh, Lesson learned. Or like, you know, um, like two parents arguing and like there's just like this... Yeah quick back and forth well so the plot too of carmen's innocent love mm. is that now we are following carmen in the city and uh she is still a dancer she her friend yeah. akimi she got knocked up and has a child and the father left her and so now they're trying to figure out you know a way to to live <laughs> and she leaves the she finds a fancy house and she leaves a baby at the doorstep and then she changes her mind and they run back and it turns out that the doorstep is for this modern artist and he makes these very like 1950s modern art like mm. western style it had some that's some like dolly to it a little bit yeah it's it's just really like really abstract and and mm -hmm, wild yeah. and um so Carmen falls in love with him, but he has a whole bunch of drama where he uh, is set to be married to someone, but he also has a mistress who he knocked up and she's trying to blackmail him and there's a baby involved in that situation. And so mm -hmm. it's like, and then his mother-in-law is like running for, she's a widow or her, her husband had been a general and now she's running for the government and this isn't. Yeah. Uh, again, like post-World War Two, I think America is out of the picture by now. And so Japan's trying to redefine itself and mm. establish its own government. Uh, it, it, there's a whole bunch of stuff happening. And really, yeah. Carmen is, is almost, even though she is the star of the film, she really has nothing to do with the rest of the plot. <laughs> no, she doesn't have a lot of like, I don't know, like things will happen without her. 
So yeah, and I know. mean, even her love story here is that she falls in love with mm. a guy who doesn't even know she exists. He he sort of no. sees Carmen. He says, "Why don't you um, be a model for, for me?" me. And yeah. then she. <laughs> Uh, decides that she's so in love with him that she will never get naked again because she wants to maintain a semblance of modesty so that, you know, he'll love her, uh -huh. which he, number one, doesn't even notice, doesn't even no. care, has absolutely no. no idea who she is or what's happening. Mm. And so she kind of goes through this existential crisis completely independent of <laughs> the rest of the characters. So... Yeah. You know, even like Akami is is even more involved in the sense that she, yeah, 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 she is. had this baby that was brought into the picture, and then the movie kind of ends with her and Carmen trying to do work to get money to support the baby and themselves. Yeah. And hmm. There's a lot of stuff in this movie, and yeah, there's a lot of stuff, but it doesn't all <laughs> like the stuff that sticks is like I don't know what is it even like. The only thing that stuck for me in this was the visuals. Like I loved all of yeah, the modern yeah, art exactly, stuff yeah. is really, yeah. really wild and, and kooky. Mm -hmm. It looks like he, his art studio looks like Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially in like a fifties Japanese movie, there are stuff like scenes in there that you don't normally see, like, especially like the Dutch angle use, like right. Ozu would just be like turning over in his grave at that shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't move the camera. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, but um, I mean, other than other than that stuff, um, I mean, we get to see Carmen's act, which is that she performs Carmen, yeah, <laughs> the mm -hmm. opera, duh. Um, but, but you know, and and the, but I don't know. This one really more more than the first one. It kind of plays up everything that doesn't work about the comedy in the first one times ten mm -hmm. because the whole film mm -hmm. is it just spends the whole movie punching down. I mean, like it's just constantly belittling and nasty to Carmen. Yeah, and pointing out like i mean to the point where she she cries throughout half of this movie because people are berating her yeah. she um gets beat up by by multiple men when she decides mm -hmm. she doesn't want to strip it's in the middle of a you know a performance and so people are pissed but like yeah. they straight up threaten to rape her halfway through if she won't get naked it's like this really awful <laughs> like i don't it, yeah. it's clearly meant to be funny it's meant to be like <laughs> no <laughs> like yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, like, you can do that to an extent, but there has to be, like, a flip side to right. it. Otherwise, it's just, like, torturing, like, for the viewer as well. Like, why am I watching this? The point of having the, the sort of dumb blonde comedies typically is it's that, like, Mr. Bean thing. It's like, here's someone who is, is bumbling their way through something, but in the end, they sort of land on their feet. And that, that's yeah, the yeah, comedy, exactly. you know, like, if you yeah, want to break yeah. it down. It doesn't, not to say that, that that's it and it has to be that way, but, like, for this, all they're doing is having somebody who's dumb bumble through things and then get punished. There has to be like, you know, like a moment moment of glory, at least for Carmen. Like she has to like, I don't know, uh, set set things right in, in some way if it if it wants to function on like a dramatic level. But it also doesn't really do that. So, yeah, I mean, she doesn't really get anything out of it. I mean, when she's crying and she decides she decides to take up ballet lessons, which are, you know, end up being like with her and a bunch of like six year olds, you know, yeah, yeah. like <laughs> learning ballet. And I guess she's trying to set herself on the course of becoming a, I don't know, a high class woman, as it were. But <laughs> I mean, another thing that's really weird is that there's this maid at um, the artist's house who keeps the, yeah the atom bomb scare lady yeah and she keeps i mean she keeps everything is about the atom bomb for her and she yeah. keeps crying over the fact that she lost her child and the and the atom bomb and 
you know, anytime something is weird, it's like the atom bomb. And anytime something yeah, yeah, yeah. is, she's like PTSD, but they use it as a running joke. Yeah. And I was like, this, this just isn't funny. And it's also morbid. <laughs> oh my gosh. And can you imagine so close to, to the, the thing happening? So close to it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the other exactly. thing that's just wild to me. Like, God forbid. I mean, in, in, I feel like if now you come out, bust out a bunch of nine 11 jokes, people are going to get <laughs> super pissed at you even, even now. And how many years yeah. is it? it's been 20 years. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's just like overused, you know, like oh, and it's constant. Dutch angles and, and, and Adam bomb jokes. Uh, and the same one, it's not like, it's barely joking. It's not. A, yeah. It's not a joke. I mean, this one more even so than the first one makes me wonder like is there something that we're are there cultural cues that we're missing because you know this is very clearly like, meant I to be like... a slapstick comedy and it's <laughs> it's i feel like it's just like outdated i i've been exposed to enough japanese culture that i at least can tell when things are supposed to be like culturally funny for them not necessarily us but i don't know i, I find it hard to read this movie as a comedy to be honest. Clearly, I mean, a big part of it has got to be that it's outdated, that like they're they're yeah. clearly at this point making fun of Carmen for, you know, the idea that she can make it on her own. And, and everyone, all of the women in this are kind of buffoons, <laughs> you know, there's, you know, and, and all the men like are totally they don't even care or know what's happening. And so mm -hmm. I don't know if this is meant to be this like, you know it's it's funny like watch these women struggle kind of comedy mm -hmm. i also yeah. wonder if maybe there's just a degree of like again he's sort of undermining um expectations that uh, that we don't even have now of course being foreigners watching this mm -hmm. and so and then on top of the fact that it's however you know it's from the 50s so there's something that's totally missing for us watching this, I think. Yeah, this this wasn't the, the most successful post-anime club in terms of our enjoyment, <laughs> no. but I still enjoyed the conversation about it. And I'm always happy to watch more Hideko Takamine movies. So, you know, we will have to do some uh, Mikio Naruse movies soon. Maybe not necessarily, I don't know, like if we want to object you to subject you to yearning. But most of his movies are kind of like they give most of the time it's like uh, Hideko Takamine in the lead role and she always plays like a, a sort of similar character who's like really having a hard time basically but I don't know I feel it's just written re really well and it earns it and there's a lot of like respect for the characters and they definitely don't try to be comedies <laughs> so it's not the most light-hearted stuff like all of his movies but they have a lot of substance it, it almost feels like a little bit like Ozu movies but maybe more serious, more, more real, more written by someone who's experienced things in his life. Mm. Whereas with Ozu, you would sometimes really get the vibe that he definitely just lived with his mother for his entire life. <laughs> right. you, you don't get that vibe with Naruse. I mean, I'm, I'm totally down to watch anything. I, for me, even watching these movies that, that we didn't love, mm. I mean, we do get to see things that were cool about them. I Again, like I, I really like the mm -hmm. color. I like the way that these were shot, even though it was almost grating by the second one to have those constant... <laughs> rolling ship uh, angles yeah, just but getting seasick really yeah at the end yeah i mean but it was still kind of neat i mean it was it was interesting oh, yeah. to see and and it's also sort of interesting to get a baseline i mean that these are known and and you know i think they are in the criterion collection like these are yeah, these yeah, are yeah. noteworthy films and they're also uh, as you mentioned they're they're you know starring a, a japanese cinematic legend and shot mm -hmm. by a very well-known director so 
It is very interesting to to at least have this. And I think that should be, you know, as much as obviously I want to try and choose things that we're going to like all the time, it's always... <laughs> there's no way to do that all the time. Right. So. There's, it's it's going to get rough after a while, but also it's always interesting to watch the stuff you don't like. I always find it just as interesting to, you know, to see what it is I that didn't work and, and to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. By seeing what you don't like, you will know more what you do like. And there's always a conversation to be had even about bad movies like these weren't bad bad movies but you know even bad movies like i'm, I'm talking more about like there's like meritless movies and right these are definitely not that as we're recording this i had i wrote a little review really quickly on letterboxd mm. for the second film and and one of my uh letterboxd friends here trolley freak he had just commented he said i'm quite keen to see uh the carmen films but your review of this one and rating of the other suggests i might be disappointed <laughs> and i'm i'm definitely going to reply to him and say um like you might but it, they're totally worthwhile seeing watch them anyway like they yeah. might work for you like that's what i always say to everyone like if if you're interested in watching a movie watch the movie Right. Period. Even like, I don't know, what are these like an hour and a half and in almost two hours, a little bit less, um, hour 40. Yeah. Second one's a bit longer. Like, yeah. What do you have to lose? Really? You're going to see something yeah, really exactly. weird. And if nothing else, you're going to be like, I watched this terrible Japanese film from the fifties and, and it's always something good to, to, you know, have in your party conversation bag when parties become a thing again. Yeah. I watched <laughs> like six seasons of Lost in like the early 2000s. <laughs> right. If you want to talk about like a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's a that's actually a fun comparison. Like how many how many people think about how many fucking hours they've sunk into crappy television? Yeah. I watched all yeah. of Lost too. I had a yeah. party and Lost ended and yeah. we made cupcakes and that's really what I remember about the ending of Lost. <laughs> Um, like I, I wasn't having a bad time with loss, but in the end, yeah. I'm like, would I ever do that again? No, but would exactly. I watch another like 90 minute movie that I probably, or maybe won't like? Sure. Right. Anytime. 100%. Huh. <laughs> so Carmen's innocent love. Carmen comes home. Great films. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. Loved them. Mm, good times. All right. Well, thank you, Carlo. This was fun. And, and, um, Anytime. I wish we could like visually, you know, rock back and forth like a ship <laughs> and end on that, but we can't because mm. this is all audio. So I, I don't even know what to do. Yeah, put in some weird, <laughs> put in some weird sounds that'll disorient people, maybe. <laughs> you know what? With their equilibrium and stuff. <laughs> I'm gonna end on on Carmen singing her jazzy song because that was my favorite part of the first film. So nice. <laughs> This podcast is a presentation of backdashrow.com, co-founded by Veronica Dolgenko and Jenna Ipkar, also featuring Carlo Van Stepout and Dan Gorman.